I feel like so many people that have multiple Bitcoins, like their 100% of their focus is to get more Bitcoin. Or they're playing this trading game and they just don't appreciate how many Bitcoin they already have. Like, I'm just saying, appreciate your Bitcoin, man. You know, and like, if you have one Bitcoin, respect that that is generational wealth. Like, respect that that one Bitcoin could mean such an enormous amount to your lineage and like, treat it as such. Hello there, how are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And before we get into the interview today, I have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now listen, in Bitcoin, we have this saying, right? Not your keys, not your Bitcoin. So if you're a Bitcoin holder, it is your money and it's time for you to own it. And if you're not storing your Bitcoin on a hardware wallet, then you are trusting somebody else. I took control of my Bitcoin back in 2017 when I bought my first Ledger Nano S, and I'm still using that same device today. Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. Now, if you would like to find out more or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Next up, it is BlockFi. Now, BlockFi bridges the world of traditional finance and Bitcoin, empowering you for this future financial world. And for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, then the BlockFi Rewards credit card provides the easiest way for you to earn Bitcoin. There are no fees to use this card, no annual fee, and no foreign transaction fees. And you can get 3.5% back in Bitcoin on all purchases in your first three months and then 1.5% back forever after. And also for every dollar you spend over 50,000 annually, you can get 2% back in Bitcoin. Now, if you want to stack stats with BlockFi, then please head over to BlockFi.com for more information and to find out the terms and conditions. This is BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Next up, it is Compass Mining. And they are not just a sponsor. I am a customer of Compass Mining. I am mining with Compass Mining. Now, I've been doing this for about, wow, what is it, like four months now, and I've mined over half a Bitcoin with them. It's pretty cool. It's very cool, actually. I love the fact that I'm back mining. And I also love the way Compass does this. They've made mining accessible to everyone. And as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. It was so easy to get onboarded. And now anyone can mine Bitcoin. You just pick your machines, choose your hosting facility, and they do all the rest of the work for you. Now, if you are interested in mining, or if you want to find out more, then please head over to compassmining.io. That is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G dot I-O. Also today, we have BCB Group. Now, BCB Group provide online business banking for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, of course, I am a BCB customer too now. Now, they heard about the difficulty I was having finding a new bank, and they understand Bitcoin. So when they reached out to me and said, Pete, you should move your account over to BCB Group, I was like, sure. Sounds absolutely perfect for me. And I could not be happier with the service they have provided me. Now, BCB clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe, but they are now expanding globally. They also have this amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now, listen, I know some of you have also had trouble with your banking, and if you are looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you want to become a BCB customer. Now, if you want to find out, please head over to bcbgroup.com 
forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. What's up, brother? Dude, it's hey. good to be here, man. Good to uh, good to be here with you. Known you for a long time. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's amazing. To I remember when I hit you up back in the day, and you know, you're just showing me the the show numbers and just amazing success. It's amazing. Uh, I feel like you, out of all of the creators that kind of emerged out of the 2017 cycle, um, have really done just an incredible job of you know building a brand and uh, you know growing a really excellent you know show and presence. So congratulations. Thank you. I don't want to talk about me. <laughs> um, I, I do want to talk about you, though. Uh, when we first met, you were running essentially sales. Yeah. And now you're a content creator, leading voice, and uh, kinda. Well, you've been creating some. <clears throat> you've been creating some great content. It's uh, that has been a pleasure to watch, and it's great to get you on the show. Uh, and I like the idea that you pitched to us. And you're like, I want to talk about hyperbitcoinization. Bless up. We Let's ha- do it. We have not talked about hyper Bitcoinization for a while. And I'm going to have a bunch of questions for you. But like, why did you want to tackle this subject? You know, I just think Bitcoiners think either way too short term or think way too small about Bitcoin. And uh, you can see it in like their actions. Uh, so I just want to give Bitcoiners a little pep talk. You know, <laughs> like, hey, it's time to zoom out. It's time to think big. All right, man. Uh, do you remember when you first heard about hyperbitcoinization? And 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 the reason I ask is when I first heard about it, I was like, oh, yeah, come on, man. Like, I get. I, I think I read it on Nakamoto Institute, and I was like, yeah, this is a cool, interesting digital asset. I understand people are going to send it to each other, but this hyperbitcoinization, nah. <laughs> I was just like, I totally wrote it off, and then you know, four years down the rabbit hole and seeing everything that's happening, I'm like, oh shit, I get it now. Yeah, I mean, I would say that the 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 Bitcoin maximalist perspective, at least like what a lot of Bitcoin maximalists say they believe in, definitely captures this vision of like ultimately all financial value will be settled, measured, communicated in Bitcoin. Um, so that, that to me, that's what hyper Bitcoinization means. Like Bitcoin is like this substrate for communicating value. Um, and I, I don't remember fully when I, I mean, I heard about it pretty early on. I class of 2017. So obviously Pierre and, and Bitstein had been, you know, putting out a lot of great information, you know, for a while at that point. But my journey to, you know, I guess becoming Bitcoin only and, you know, really becoming a Bitcoin believer was pretty quick. Like I discovered, you know, crypto during the NFT, you know, the, the ICO bubble. Uh, I was in the tech space, and because I was in the tech space and you know venture capital and startup in Silicon Valley, uh, I, I already knew what it looked like for like shitty startups to raise a lot of money. And then I just you know saw all these ICOs like, oh, these are just really crappy shitty startups, <laughs> and they're raising like an order of magnitude more money than normal Silicon Valley startups. So I was already kind of primed to like see through that, uh, and you know I just went down a really speedy journey to like, oh wow, like Bitcoin is really the signal here. As I started, you know, learning more about, you know, what Bitcoin philosophers thought about what Bitcoin was going to do to the world, uh, you know, I, I was pretty open-minded to to accepting those ideas. So I did not really push back on hyper-Bitcoinization in my mind. You know, I think I, I pretty much accepted it, you know, from the start. Uh, and if anything, it articulated something that I already believed, which is that like, oh, wow, Bitcoin's going to be a big, big deal. It's this new neutral 
financial plumbing for the world and hyper Bitcoinization is just like a interesting articulation of that. And do you think uh, when we go through hyper Bitcoinization, we come out the other end, there are no fiat currencies or do you just think Bitcoin becomes the standard, becomes the measure and stick for everything else? Yeah, it's it. I think it's too early to tell like what how power dynamics are going to be like in a uh, a Bitcoin oriented world. You know, a lot of people have like talked about it's going to reduce the power of the state. It's going to reduce the power of the printing press and that kind of stuff. But it's too early to tell. Uh, so I wouldn't want to say that there won't be fiat, but I do think that on the journey to hyper Bitcoinization, there's going to be like the traditional economy, and then there's going to be the Bitcoin economy. And we're starting to see the Bitcoin economy like getting bigger. And ultimately, these two competing economies, um, the Bitcoin economy is going to prove to be a lot more efficient. It's going to prove to help the participants of that economy, uh, you know, allocate capital much, much more effectively. And what it's going to end up looking like is like, oh, wow, like there's growth in Bitcoin. And there's stagflation in fiat. And I'm sure, you know, Lynn Alden and a lot of the other amazing economists that come on to your show, you know, they've talked about, you know, the dying fiat system a lot. A lot. A fuckload. Um, okay, so this is a really tricky and tough question. <laughs> but, like, how, how do we know when we've hyper-Bitcoinized? Like, how do you know? Because I think you can make an argument that some individuals have themselves. Yeah, it's definitely not. I mean, so yeah, people. Some people are living in the Bitcoin economy. Yeah, I would say the hyper Bitcoinized. Like, there's kind of like this point of like, you know, the Bitcoin economy and the fiat economy are equally liquid, and then that's really when I guess if you look at the the adoption S curve, like that's when you go you go vertical on on the adoption S curve because that's when like there's no uh, decrease in uh, your ability to do commerce or you know manage uh, an economy in the Bitcoin system, uh, and then you just get all the benefits of the Bitcoin system. You can just throw away the old system. Okay. Um, okay. So it's, there's a difference. People are on a Bitcoin standard now. I certainly am. You probably are. It's helped Bitcoin Magazine a tremendous amount. I see a, a, a number of Bitcoin companies. They are pricing in Bitcoin. Yep. They are holding Bitcoin on their balance sheet. Uh, everybody's understood that if you play that four-year time scale, that it makes sense to hold Bitcoin and it accelerates growth. We've seen that, especially especially with the mining companies. Haven't talked to them. Uh, a lot of companies or individuals also play in that speculative attack, whether it's taking a loan to buy Bitcoin, whether it's buying property with the longest possible uh, uh, mortgage with the yep. lowest possible rate. Lots of people are speculatively attacking refinancing. Bitcoin. Refinancing. Refinancing. It's happening a lot. We've seen Sailor do it. I've done it. Lots of individuals have done it. So that Bitcoin standard's happening. People are speculatively attacking fiat. I guess you're saying that's different from hyper-Bitcoinization where we see a massive FOMO of people coming off a fiat standard. So... I would say like we are living in hyper Bitcoinization. Hyper Bitcoinization is a process. Yeah. So like we're in the earlier-ish stages of the process, at least before things have accelerated a lot. But you know, obviously, like the Bitcoin economy is big enough that, you know, it can support MicroStrategy, it can support El Salvador, it can support what Bitcoin did in Bitcoin magazine and all those other, you know, organizations. And it's really about like during the process, like there's the two side-by-side -side systems, right? One is shrinking. One is growing, uh, and I, again, like 
I think you can look at a lot of economic measures to show why like velocity of money and all this kind of stuff within the fiat system is trending towards an unhealthy level. And then here on the Bitcoin side, the velocity is increasing. All on-chain, you know, signals point to health. You know, all fundamentals point to health within the system. And again, like, you know, people are prospering. Like you can just zoom out and like businesses in the system are prospering. Maybe it's just because it's the bull market or the, you know, we just experienced a, a lot of, you know, price increases. But uh, I just think ultimately it's going to come down to, you know, Bitcoin helps you allocate capital better. You know, Bitcoin is a better economic system. Bitcoin works, whereas the other system, it's difficult to make economic calculation. Like how can you make economic calculation if you don't know what the price of fuel is going to be like, you know, tomorrow, right? I think the price of fuel has increased you know, by several, you know, 10, 20 cents in California, like every single day, seven days in a row, right? And that's, you know, you could say that's extreme circumstances, but, you know, we've been experiencing economic, like an economic storm. We've been living in this like economic storm in fiat for the last two years in a really obvious way. And it makes it hard to do business. It really does. Well, I'm going to agree and disagree with you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I agree with you in terms of business planning. And the reason I know that is for the first time ever, I'm having to consider inflation clauses in my contracts. Uh, some of my contracts for sponsors are, are multi-year. Um, you know, break clauses, blah, 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 has everything in it. But the price has always been fixed. And, you know, I accept there's 2 to 5% inflation, whatever. Um, even though we've got quoted 7.9%, we all know it's much higher than that. What I don't know is... Could we have a very weird event maybe in a year where we see 20%, 25%, like could we? It's a possibility. It's absolute possibility. Oh, that's the trend. It's just going up. It's just going up. But I mean, it, look, it, you know, we might see stability in the world and inflation might drop. I, I don't know. What I'm saying is I don't know. And therefore I'm having to turn around to sponsors when we negotiate contracts and say, and I need an inflation clause. You know, this is the price, and next year there's the price plus inflation. So, as you said, it makes it very difficult to economically plan. <clears throat> but we are, and, and as you say, we are seeing you know prices on the bumps going up in terms of gas. But at the same time, if that was priced in Bitcoin, with Bitcoin price being so volatile, you still can't fully economically plan in a Bitcoin standard. The only economic plan I can make with Bitcoin is that. I know historically every four years a Bitcoin has always been guaranteed, be, guaranteed to be worth more. Yeah. Every Bitcoin held for four years. That might not be the case forever. This year has been very weird or different. So I'm with you. I think a Bitcoin standard is better. But on the short term, I think economically plan on both is quite difficult. Well, I, I, I think that... Right now we're in chaos mode, yeah. where it is like we have a virgining new system that's not liquid enough to rely on, and then we have the economic, you know, catastrophe that is the existing system, and we're just independent actors trying to make economic choices. Yeah, and it's—I don't think anyone will argue that it's really hard to do that today. You know, my mom is a doctor. Uh, she, you know, is she kind of like runs her own practice, but with like help and like the org that helps her. Like they're, they cannot deal with it. Like they can't hire new people. They can't make any of these like proper choices and adjust to the changing market dynamics. It, and it's a disaster for them. It's an absolute like organizational disaster. And then you can zoom out to like unemployment in the US and in the West and all these, play, you know, all these people that aren't working. Right. And why is that though? Again, I would say it's really hard to make economic calculations. And, you know, that's like the really like, you know, ec economist way of phrasing like, hey, you know, 
people are feeling depressed. They have no purpose in life. It's difficult to like, you know, motivate yourself to participate within the economy. And that's because the economy doesn't make sense. It's funny you should say that because uh, we were out at dinner last night and Jimmy Song was there. And this is one of these things I'm going to say, if like, if you're not in the Bitcoin world, you just think we're a bunch of weirdos and nutters, but it totally makes sense. He said, there are a lot of people depressed at the moment. We've had a very difficult two, three years, all kinds of crazy shit going on. And if you don't understand Bitcoin, there is no hope. And that's not for everyone. But I think everyone in Bitcoin certainly has hope because they're, they're building a life and building businesses and careers and futures based on the belief that this Bitcoin thesis will play out. Yep. And so I don't have that depression and fear. It's got nothing to do with the money I hold. It's based on the fact like we contribute into this better world. So I have that. Yep. Um, and that's a difference. So, I mean, like we're talking about all these bad things, right? Yeah. And I, that gives me confidence that Bitcoin has a better system, you know, will win in the end. And when I think of like how Bitcoin plays out, right? Where this is hyper Bitcoinization. We're in the process of watching Bitcoin monetize in real time. That's again, that's my opinion. And at the point of like hi when hyper Bitcoinization is completed, when the world is on Bitcoin standard, that's when the journey begins truly. But I guess my pep talk, what I want to talk to Bitcoiners about is like Bitcoin is, in my opinion, Bitcoin's binary. It, there is no such thing as like a, a Bitcoin that is like marginally successful, right? Of course. It, it's either the Bitcoin standard or it kills itself, right? The economics don't work. The block reward, you know, goes to zero. No one's using the blockchain. Like it's either everyone's using the blockchain or no one's using the blockchain and it dies. And again, in, in my opinion, it's either hyper Bitcoinization or irrelevance. So why, you know, why do you believe that? Why, why do you believe that? And it's maybe isn't just that. Bitcoin becomes another asset like gold. I mean, firstly, gold did become dominant, but there's a lot of constraints with gold, which enabled it to, you know, effectively, you know, be manipulated and taken over, centralized, however you want to describe gold's failure. Again, I don't think that Bitcoin has the same features as gold that made it fail. I think that we're in this kind of global internet-based world where standards emerge and become dominant and it makes complete sense that there's going to be a digital monetary standard again i think that's going to be bitcoin a lot of people have brought up fud of like oh my god like bitcoin might succeed but it has all these economic issues you know with its incentive structure that doesn't make any sense to me like it's either again it's either it has economic issues and bitcoin's not going to succeed and it's going to go to zero and become irrelevant or the world migrates to Bitcoin. There's finite supply, finite block space. And I mean, there's no one who is like thinking about what exponential growth looks like in usage and is thinking like, oh, wow, like miners aren't going to get paid. Like that, it just doesn't make sense. Like mine, if, if Bitcoin is the most important asset in the world, miners will be the most important industry in the world and they're going to be being paid a shitload. So again, like I really do think like it's this, it either succeeds or it fails. And then if it succeeds, like we should be planning for either success or ultimate success or ultimate failure. And then within ultimate success, we need to like actually envision what exponential growth looks like. I don't think gold failed yeah. or has failed. I think it's failed as a, it failed as a gold standard because it ended, but it hasn't failed yet as an asset. It's the price is growing at the moment and you know, large amount has been bought by Russia and 
China and I think other countries right now may be considering buying more gold. Uh, I, I don't think the option is there to replace gold with Bitcoin yet. I could see a split allocation, but maybe it's 95% gold, 5% Bitcoin for sovereign wealth funds or nation states. That's not to say we're seeing the trend where it flips. I think it's too early to say gold's failed. Sure. Well, I guess I was talking about a global gold standard. Yeah, fine. The, yeah, the global gold standards failed. I don't want to argue about the details of hyper Bitcoinization. I'm trying to zoom out. Yeah. Right? Again, like there's a trend. Bitcoin is hyper is hyper monetizing. We're having a completely new independent system that I'm sorry, gold does not include gold. So gold is part of the the traditional system. So with the rise of the Bitcoin system, gold must inherently demonetize. Like again, my Bitcoin thesis is that the world will be priced in Bitcoin. Maybe we'll have gold jewelry that's backed by Bitcoin, so it actually has some value in it. Maybe. So I don't know. Gold's going to be reduced down to its utility value, and you know I don't think that you can look at what's happening today and be like, oh, this is how it's going to logically work on a Bitcoin standard because. We live in fiat clown world, Peter. I'm I know. sorry to like asset misallocation is rampant. Like that is what fiat does. And decision maker, you know, rational decisions by rational actors within the clown world, you know, will be clowny. So uh, the reason like, I bring it though, I, I, bring, I bring it up for a reason though, because I am considering a gold allocation at the moment. And I, I, let sure. me exp- explain my thesis is that yeah. I'm like irresponsibly on Bitcoin, 95 to 100% Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin is not without threats. And to be that exposed at a time of uh, significant economic issues, I have no hedge apart from property. And so I was considering taking 10% of my Bitcoin and put it into gold just as a hedge, just in case something crazy happened with Bitcoin. I, I don't believe it will happen. So I think this is where the Bitcoiners might crucify me, but sounds like a fine idea, man. You know, this is why I'm saying like, you need to look at the long game of Bitcoin because Odds are you already have enough Bitcoin, Peter. Like, you have multiple Bitcoin? Okay, congratulations. You have enough Bitcoin. Don't fuck it up. Figure out how to protect yourself, you know, on this crazy journey and just get to the get to the destination. Okay, we can zoom out. But my point was is I don't think I don't think if Bitcoin doesn't become the global standard, Bitcoin still fails. I still think it has utility, I still think it has value, I still think it's an asset. I don't think Oh, it, it never reached hyper Bitcoinization. Uh, it never hyper Bitcoinized. It didn't become the global standard. Now it trends to zero. I don't. Th- I personally don't think that happens. But that's me. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I just think it succeeds. So I'm not really calculating that <laughs> fail state super, right. uh, super much. But you know, ultimately, maybe the incentives work out in a world where like Bitcoin's marginally successful. Like only a fringe group of people are like running it as like uh, just a complete alternative system. Maybe it challenges the fiat system to like get right enough, but I just personally think that you know if you're talking about I, I, let me let me zoom out really quick cool. and uh, let me give like let me uh, deliver uh, an example. So do you know the story about why Google defeated Yahoo? Was that to do with PageRank? Yeah, yeah. So at the time, Yahoo was a much bigger company, a much older company, very well funded, and, and there, actually it was. I thought they defeated Alta Vista. They defeated everyone, yeah. but Yahoo was was in play, right? So Yahoo was was one of the dominant players at the time, and their the way that they were trying to like curate the internet was they actually had manual curators. They had 
you know, a room full of people that are like actively curating the internet, creating an internet directory. And then what Google did is use, a, use the page rank and keyword system in order to automate that. So Yahoo didn't stand a chance, right? Yahoo got absolutely obliterated in the market. So like, again, when I look at Bitcoin versus the traditional system, like we're talking about, you know, human curated monetary policy versus automated monetary policy. So I'm just kind of like looking at past examples of things that happened in the past. And I'm like, wow, Bitcoin's going to obliterate this. Network effects are dominant. Okay, 21 million divided by everything. Let's fucking figure out like how much Bitcoin you actually need. I think you I, know, that's that's my, that's how I'm looking at it. I think that's a really, really good point. I've never actually heard anyone explain it like that. And I'll tell you why I think that's a, a really good point. It's because we spoke to Jeff Booth about money misinformation. And the problem with the current financial system is that it's so manipulated. There's so much misinformation in the system. And really what happens is it's a small group of people who fuck it up for everyone else. Okay? So great example, canceling Russia. It's because of, you could put it really down to one man or a few psychos on each side. Let's not get into the politics of why this war's happening, but to punish a leader of a country and some oligarchs, they've canceled an entire country. Is it 144 million people live in Russia? They're all punished by this. Okay, And that is a system where a few small group of people can ruin it for everyone else. Jack Mallers loves to talk about an open monetary system. This is a system that benefits the billions, the hundreds of millions, the billions. Therefore, the incentive structure flips in that it, the network is cre- effect is created because nobody else can screw it up for them. Every individual has that personal choice. So I think that's a really good point. Yeah. I mean, again, it, like I, I, Bitcoin is evolution on the existing system. I'm very confident that Bitcoin will succeed at outcompeting the existing system from an economic perspective. Again, I'm not talking about like Bitcoin's more noble, Bitcoin's sexier, the old system is you know hurting people. I'm like. like Straight up, people are going to make economic calculations and more and more and more, they're going to be moving to the Bitcoin system. And ultimately, if that does not happen, like if there is another system that emerges, like I I don't see how long run Bitcoin can just be marginally successful. It either achieves its ultimate destiny. And then again, we got to start thinking about how big hyper Bitcoinization is going to be and think about what do I need to do to get there safely with my stack intact, or you have to prepare for, okay, it's going to zero. And, you know, maybe I shouldn't allocate a hundred percent on this bet. Maybe I should, you know, put myself in a position to live comfortably for the next 10 years and then be a freaking mega billionaire on the other side of it, you know, with all my limbs and with my family intact and, you know, at a nice fat weight, uh, without being too skinny and, and, you know, living in a bunker. So I, I don't know, like, I, that's why it's just important to like, put this thing into perspective. Because if you're thinking, hey, Bitcoin's going to be a million dollars in 10 years, you might be way overweight on Bitcoin because you're bullish. But guess what? Bitcoin's probably going to be like $26 million per coin in 10 years. We'll probably be at full hyper Bitcoinization. And I hope you didn't lose your coins or traded it early trying to time the market. You think we're going to be at twenty-six million a coin in a decade? I mean, conservative, again, like <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying it's either, it's either hyper Bitcoinization or zero. Again, I think it's going to happen in the next decade. People will argue with that. But ultimately, if we do get to hyper-Bitcoinization, you know, the global store of value market is conservatively $500 trillion. 
divide that by 21 million, you're looking at $26 million per Bitcoin, right? So, I mean, that's conservative. Like, you know, I've heard the store value market is in the quadrillions. And now you're talking about, you know, multi-hundred million dollar Bitcoin. So again, like we, we I think you just got to like, hey, Bitcoiners, like this thing either works or it doesn't. If it works, like what will the price of your SaaS be in that future? Like, and I think we need to get to that level. I like $26 million of coin. That's conservative. I can get I can get better than the Premier League if that happens. On your conservative number. Uh, okay, look, we can we can disagree on whether it's binary and we don't really need to get into that because we're talking about hyper-Bitcoinization. Um, but what, there's lots of interesting things that have happened during the history of Bitcoin. These, these kind of key moments, whether it's buying two pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoin or the Silk Road proving there's a... Uh, a marketplace for routing around government rules, whether it's uh, WikiLeaks getting removed from the payment rails and having the option of Bitcoin, whether it's Tesla putting Bitcoin on the balance sheet, whether it's El Salvador making it legal tender, all huge things that have happened, which are truly incredible. I'm, I'm waiting for somebody, a sovereign nation or someone to start pricing a commodity in Bitcoin. When somebody sells oil in Bitcoin, I think that is the next massive leap in terms of what's happening with Bitcoin. And it's not happened, but you can see it happening because right now people are moving off the petrodollar, right? You see the cracks. Yeah, you see the cracks. I mean, people are starting to price uh, oil in the euro. They're starting to uh, price oil in the yuan. We've seen Russia and... yeah, uh, Russia wants to sell oil in rubles. In ru- yeah. Did we see... I mean... Nope. Did, did we see uh, the end of the petrodollar? You know, we've been... I've been listening to your show when you were talking about the petrodollar. Did we witness the end of the petrodollar? I think. Is that the show title, by the way? It could be. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we've got a show about that today. Got, literally going out with Nick Carter. Um, uh, I, I mean, I think it's over. I mean, I've got lots of questions about that separately, whether the US government actually wants the end of the petrodollar. But that's a completely different conversation. My point being is we've had these big jumps. I didn't see prior to the El Salvador announcement, I didn't see a country at that point making Bitcoin legal tender. And now one's done it. It's opened the doors for other countries. I'm My assumption is within the next two months, we're going to see another announcement. I don't know, but that's my assumption. The conference is in the next month. So. I know, well, that's why <laughs> that's I've, pretty safe bet. That's, that's why I've said that. My assumption is I wouldn't be surprised if it's a collective of countries. And that's not me with having any inside information, but... There is an incentive for a collective or cohort of South American, Central American countries to do this together. I I wouldn't be surprised now if a country came out and said, we're going to be selling some of our oil and Bitcoin. But when that happens, that is such a huge leap for Bitcoin. Absolutely. And the crazy thing is in 2019, I thought I was like, you know, being like such a, you know, putting out such a bold take. I said, by the end, by the time Bitcoin turns twenty, oil, there will be oil contracts denominated in BTC. So uh, Bitcoin is thirteen years old now, and I think it's going to happen way before Bitcoin turns twenty. So uh, things I think have accelerated a lot. And then again, once once we get energy on on the Bitcoin alternative economy, you know things get really real. You know you can Gladstein will make the argument that. You know, all the wars that we've had since the 70s have all been about energy and oil um, and the the petrodollar. And again, it, it 
energy drives what we do and energy is at the heart of Bitcoin, which again is another reason to be really bullish on Bitcoin and not on some alternative cryptocurrency system that doesn't even get the energy play. So you, you're, you're thinking this happens in the next decade. Oh yeah. Super bullish. My assumption with that is, is that we've been in this gradually and we're going to hit the suddenly phase. You believe there's going to be some triggers when, once they start, everyone starts flipping. Has, haven't things escalated and when they escalate, they escalate in big leaps? Like you just described that. Of course, yeah. I, I just embedded on that to continue. Like that's how technology adoption works anyways. Like, Yeah, I, I, I do wonder. I think there's going to be some weirdness for it. There you go. Look, food coming in. Everyone watching can see how we look after our guests. They're keeping me fed. What the fuck is that? It's fiat food. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got a fiat drink here. Um, with Bitcoin being inelastic and a very limited supply which is available on exchange and we still have a kind of part fiat world, uh, uh, the suddenly moves can always get a bit weird for some people and some people transitioning into this, getting a call in the FOMO, could actually end up crushing themselves if there was just a massive on-ramp of, you know, you talked about 26 million. That is not a straight line from here. But to happen in 10 years, some people transition into Bitcoin standard will actually potentially wipe themselves out. Like, for example, some companies could wipe themselves out because the transition cannot, I don't believe the transition can be easy and smooth for everyone. Anyone who's already in, anyone who's already in, great. They're going to crush it. They can have the capital to allocate, to finance new companies, industries, individuals, charities, whatever. But... With the price that was just shooting up and people start allocating their capital in, if there's a dip, they could get crushed. So it's not going to be smooth. Yeah, I'm never promised it's going to be smooth. If anything, I'm promising it's going to be clowny. Okay. It's going to be really clowny. But, I mean, we're lucky and also we deserve to be in this position. We put in the hard work to learn about Bitcoin and versioning system and a lot of other people will too. And the interesting thing, at least about Bitcoin adoption to me is like you kind of see these era, these eras of Bitcoin adopters, right? The early era were like the cypherpunks uh, and, you know, the Austrian economists and libertarians and then, you know, the VCs. And then you're just starting to see, you know, middle class America and people who are maybe financially inclined. And now you're seeing, you know, blue collar Canadians and every person who lives in Russia and the Ukrainian government. Like, so the, the level of, uh, of priming that you need to like see the value in Bitcoin is reducing a lot. So in 2017 for me, uh, like I said, I was, I saw the value in Bitcoin. I was primed to see through the ICO thing. I was really into personal finance. Uh, generally speaking, I had a lot of experience in open source technology already, which is really random, but through college. So I was like, I had like three or four things that primed me to see value in this thing. Like the level of priming that you need today is so much less. And I know that, you know, you had your like three or four different priming points that like allowed you to kind of see this thing eventually. So ultimately, like for the listeners, you know what the the, the adoption S-curve looks like. Like that's what hyper-Bitcoinization is going to look like. That's what, you know, roughly all parabolic, uh, exponentially growing technologies look like. So uh, the crazy thing about Bitcoin is that there's also going to be a, a fiat price associated with that. And yeah, things are going to go crazy. And, you know, things in the the meat space, you know, are already starting to go crazy. And I think that that's going to just continue. But we're already seeing like safe harbors emerge for Bitcoiners. 
Like you don't see safe harbors emerging for any other group of people across the globe other than Bitcoiners. And, you know, El Salvador is the first. You think that more are going to come. I just think that trend's going to continue to, to expedite. And again, if we want to talk about growth within the alternative system that is Bitcoin, look at El Salvador. El Salvador's GDP outperformed a lot of other countries in the same time. Have we double-checked the GDP thing? I've seen this, but my, I have a question regarding it, whether it's a post-COVID jump. That's the only thing I've ever have, thought. Have other countries yeah. experienced a post-COVID jump? Yeah, because, they, had, they, because they, had, they had a COVID dip. Yeah. So is but it the, is it being is, is there a gotcha. COVID dip? Is and it then bringing them back to just normal? Or? Yeah, and then therefore is it an advantageous pro, uh, GDP growth that you can use? I don't know. Do you want to look it up, Danny? Yeah. I mean, who knows if GDP is even a valid measure, right? But these are the measures that we have right now. And yeah, I mean, ultimately, like again, you can look at the companies too. Maybe it's just because we've been through this bull market. But Bitcoin Magazine, I can just speak for myself. Like we're very much positioned to to wane out a cycle and 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 and, and deal with a, a bear market so yeah i guess you're right so, so just getting back to pre pre 2020 numbers yeah so so that's what and honestly they started recovering too before uh before bitcoin hold on so there, there's the dip in 2020 that's covid dip for sure and then these i think these are just projected figures because i don't know if they're official yet well, the, so the new figures for 2021 was the record figures. But the point being is like, I saw that number and it was like, oh, look, uh, El Salvador's got record GDP growth and uh, it must be because they've become a Bitcoin country. And I was like, well, hold on a second. We've just been through COVID and every country's had a GDP dip. So that just for anyone listening, that just, that needs fact checking. Yep, but that's not to you. say, well, that's not to say though, like as somebody's traveled back and forth, I've seen the changes in the country and I'm perfectly aware there's a number of good things happen. Not only have they seen a drop in violence and it continues to drop and the murder rates drop in, uh, there's an increase in tourism. We know that factually because every Bitcoiner has been, pretty much, have you been? I've not been yet. Every Bitcoin apart from CK has been. When are we going? Soon. All right. Um, but like lots of Bitcoiners are going there. I'm also aware of a lot of the projects that happen there, that real estate companies going there to you know build out... Um, you know, um, I don't know what you'd call it, uh, areas of property. What would you call that? Just development. Yeah, developments. Build out developments. There's ho investments in the, ho the hotels. The hotel at Garten that, that I go to is looking to expand. The hotel's getting on Instagram and, and Twitter and starting to market to Westerners. Yeah. Like, what's that hotel with a giant volcano in the background? That looks incredible. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've not been there. But so, and, and I'm aware of companies opening offices there. So without doubt, there's economic investment Without doubt, there's new uh, economic spend that's happened there that wasn't there before. I don't know if that's seen a difference in the GDP. But what the real difference of them is, is once the price starts to rally. Bukele's been stacking sats. He's been smash buying on his phone. The country is primed to absolutely benefit from their Bitcoin stack. And now we've got the bond coming out, which if that does what I think it will do, they will be in a really, really great position. And then they're not the only safe harbor. We're actually in a safe harbor right now here. Yeah, we're in Austin, Texas. Texas is Bitcoin country. I, I would be really interested to see uh, them exercise state rights if there was anything that came down from the federal government that that was uh, overreaching against Bitcoin because there is a lot of Bitcoin industry here. There is a lot of Bitcoiners here. Governor Abbott is massively supporting Bitcoin. Ted Cruz is massively supporting Bitcoin. Like this is this is a safe harbor here. Totally. No, I mean best thing about the U.S. comparative to you know other 
countries, other Western democracies is uh, how strong states' rights are. Yep. And they, you get this geographical arbitrage domestically within the U.S. Um, and that's why I can leave California, have my same identity, all my same property, all this kind of stuff, and you know, come to Texas, go to Tennessee eventually, and uh, and set up shop there. And you know, what I think Bitcoin brings that to the whole world. Which is another reason why you know I think it's just going to accelerate, but it's happening within the U.S. It's happening in El Salvador, and it's going to other countries like other countries are going to join. Other companies are going to join MicroStrategy. I, I just I think the trend continues, and uh, if anything, it it gets faster. Before we carry on with the interview, I do have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Casa. Whether you've just bought your first SaaS or you're a Bitcoin pro you need to protect your investment. And the only person who should be in charge of your Bitcoin and your financial freedom is you. And securing your Bitcoin does not have to be difficult because Casa makes it so easy. Getting started is super simple. You just download the app, create an account, and enjoy a 30-day free trial. And if you need some assistance, it is just a click or phone call away. Casa has best-in-class customer support and free online resources to support you. Now, 12 Canada recently showed us the importance of self-custody and taking control of your money when they froze protesters' finances with no warning. Take your financial freedom into your hands by self-custodying your Bitcoin so it can never be frozen without your consent. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Next up, it is Gemini who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin. And even though they've been with me for a year, I have not sold a single sat with Gemini. I'm only buying. I'm a hodler. But I have been buying Bitcoin with them. Not only have I been buying the dips through Gemini, but I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. And I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing all through one clear, attractive interface. And Gemini are now running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com forward slash WBD. Next up, it's sportsbet.io the very best place for online gaming because they're badasses and they accept Bitcoin. Now, we are over halfway through the season. Liverpool have just picked up their first trophy. Tottenham are struggling as ever. This season is going as planned. But how's it going to finish? Do you know how it's going to finish? Will Liverpool win the title? Will they snatch it away from City? Who's going to win the league? Who's going to win the Champions League? Who knows? Well, anyway, if you want to take a bet, sportsbet.io has got you covered. And not just with football. They cover tennis, motorsports, US sports. They even cover esports. And for new customers, there's always a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, please head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions. That is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. Also today we have Level. Now as the world migrates from traditional walled garden financial rails to Bitcoin, Level has rebuilt its Bitcoin trading app to become the first full suite Bitcoin banking app. The Bitcoin revolution isn't just about investing dollars, it's about replacing them. So, while other apps help you to buy Bitcoin, 
The Level app lets you use your Bitcoin for daily life. You can get paid in Bitcoin, you can spend Bitcoin anywhere, and you can even earn Bitcoin rewards. All of this is alongside a traditional fiat account, so you can manage your Bitcoin alongside your traditional currencies. Now, Level are reserving 500 beta slots for WBD listeners ready to go all in and bank in Bitcoin. If you want to find out more, head over to level.co forward slash WBD, which is lvl.co forward slash WBD for info and early access. I still, it's funny, I'm still struggling to communicate this across to friends and convince them of this, explain to them exactly where we are. I have spent, I use Facebook for one thing and one thing only, which is to promote the podcast. I put out episodes and I say, here, here, not all of them. It's like, oh, this is one you might be interested in. Like one, two likes, three likes, we get the occasional message. But I started laying in other messages. I was just taking stuff that people say on Twitter and I was putting it into Facebook. Inflation is coming and Bitcoin price is here. And we went through a period of about a year where I was saying, showing inflation was rising and the Bitcoin price was rising. Could not get a bite. Honestly, of the say, say there's a thousand people on there, maybe three bites, people asking questions, saying they can get in. Yeah, since I've got a football team, which is on a Bitcoin standard, I've been told over and over again, it's a scam, I'm a scammer, what's the scam I'm pulling, yada, yada. So that, that leap of faith from not knowing anything about Bitcoin to having an interest is still huge for people. Yet you're talking about a world that these people have got no idea but that's coming. They cannot prepare for. Like what how do we help people prepare? Like what can we do? Or do is it just a case ego? It's just like everyone needs their moment, whether they're a Canadian trucker getting debanked or it's a Russian or or suddenly there's massive inflation. What do we do? Everyone gets the price they deserve. Oh I got um, I got a lot of shit for that tweet. I don't know. It's uh, it, it's one of the truest things that you can say. There's nothing you can do other than what we're doing. You try to communicate it better and hopefully, you know, it's like the Bitcoin community, in my opinion, I got it in 2017. There's great education. Ex- the education has gotten a million times better. You know, I think we're, we're putting in our, our 50% and, you know, you can be critical. You can say we can do it better. And I agree we can. But ultimately, people need to meet meet us halfway and they can only meet it when they're ready. So I think it has to do with priming. So it's just difficult to get people to care about things that they're not primed for. But here's here's on the flip side. The people who enter Bitcoin last on the flatter part of the adoption S-curve, those are going to be the most toxic maximalists because they will have been fucked the hardest by the existing system for the longest. And these are the people that today, you know, they're they're the the gold bugs who, you know, have a bunch of bullets and are prepping and they're holding it down inside their place and they're only accepting gold and cash and this kind of stuff. And they're just kind of like untrusting because they're, they will have been through a lot. They will be the ones who are like, I will only accept Bitcoin. I'll never accept your whatever because they'll have been through the whole thing and they wouldn't have seen any of the insane gains, but at least they're on a sound system now. And they, you know, they learned the hard way that, this is why you trust a, a sound system. I think you could also ask, argue when they, whilst they've been the least fucked, when they do transfer across to Bitcoin, they face the least risk of Bitcoin not working. Oh yeah, it's it'll be the most safe for them yeah. at that point for like, sure. Like Greg Foster st- said to me, he said Bitcoin is way safer to buy at forty thousand dollars than it is at four thousand dollars. I mean, it gets safer as it gets bigger. Yeah. And yeah, as the and then like again, like that hyper Bitcoinization point where the S curve goes vertical, like that has to do with liquidity. That's when the Bitcoin economy 
reaches parity with liquidity with the fiat economy. And then when that happens and there's no utility, you know, there's no marginal liquidity benefits of being on the fiat system, that's when things go vertical. And yeah, and that's when Bitcoin is the most de-risked. All right. So no coiners get Bitcoin at the price they deserve. All right. We've got loose Bitcoiners. Some people who've paid some attention, maybe bought a little bit. They're also maybe buying JPEGs and Solano and all that bullshit. Good for them. Um, But they're the ones who are most primed actually to be fully ready. How do how does how do you as a we're ready as you as a loose Bitcoin? How do you like how do you become really ready? Or, or or am I not ready, CK? What am I missing? What am I not ready for? Do I need to think a lot more about custody, safety? I don't have to worry well, about being at a, at a fat, healthy weight. Yeah, I mean, I I would say like the key is is that put your Bitcoin in perspective, put your Bitcoin stack into perspective, and then just know it's going to be a wild ride and focus on getting there. Right. I feel like so many people that have multiple Bitcoins, like their 100% of their focus is to get more Bitcoin. Or they're playing this trading game and they're, they just don't appreciate how many Bitcoin they already have. Like, I'm just saying, appreciate your Bitcoin, man. You know, and like, if you have one Bitcoin, respect that that is generational wealth. Like, respect that that one Bitcoin could mean such an enormous amount to your lineage and like, treat it as such, right? Like learn about the proper custody, learn about the proper plan to pass it down to your significant other, your spouse or your kids. Like don't be that guy with 15 Bitcoin that gets in a car accident and then it's gone, right? And then ultimately like that is enough to make, you know, your entire family millionaires in the very short future. So I'm just saying is like, maybe you don't have to stack every penny into Bitcoin if you already have enough, right? And like, it's like, Hey, I'm not saying don't stack. I'm not saying, you know, don't continue to accumulate. Don't take advantage of this massive opportunity to, you know, upgrade your family's wealth a lot uh, for every dollar, or every pound you put in. But it's like also know what you own. And like, you know, for the shit coiner or the you know, person who's gambling on JPEGs, be like, you know, when you make I think Udi phrases it pretty well. Like, hey, great, you made some money on Dogecoin. Put some of it into Bitcoin and like know that Bitcoin has a chance to do this and don't fuck it up. Just hodl. I think that's Dan Held who says that. All right. Maybe Dan Held. I want to give the correct credit. Just in All case. right. Dan Held. Just put it in the world's soundest money, baby. Let's go. <laughs> Sometimes wondering whether I've got enough Bitcoin. Um, okay. You definitely do. Either that or you're bare. Or an idiot. I mean, I don't know about an idiot, but a bear. I could think about back in 2017 how much Bitcoin I had off. Oh. Do you know that story? Uh, I'm sure you could retell it. Uh, I, I know that David Bailey, the CEO of uh, BTC Inc., says that uh, you know how an, how much of an OG one is based on how many Bitcoin they have lost. So We had a conversation with Bill Barthart recently. What was it, Danny? Oh, he said he'd given away thousands of Bitcoin. Thousands. That's an OG. That's an OG. I'm not an OG, but there was a point in 2017... I don't mind saying this because I've got nothing near this anymore, but I was holding 182 Bitcoin. That's fantastic. And I No, it's not because I fucked it. No. Traded most of it away, lost half of it in mining. I was a moron. You're too early on the mining game. You yeah. should have stuck it out. <laughs> I was too stupid on the mining game. Fuck. <laughs> if I had 182 Bitcoin, what is it, 26 million? And it's going to be 26 million, Danny, tell me. I don't even want to tell you that. 26 million, 260 million, 2.6 billion. It's about you'll be fine. Four point two billion. How close am I? I don't know. I didn't even do it. 
So, I mean, again, if you had that perspective, maybe you'd be like, you know, fuck the mining shit, fuck the train shit. Just I would have. hodl. I would have. I'm going to focus on my custody. <laughs> Four billion, 700. Yeah, pretty good math. Pretty good math. That's conservative, too. So, how much is enough, CK? <laughs> I mean, you can six, do 6.15 Bitcoin. <laughs> Come on, baby. You know, 6.15, you're in a good spot. I mean, again, if Bitcoin works. So, like, binary, hyper Bitcoinization or zero, put yourself, like, I think people need to put themselves in position for hyper Bitcoinization or zero. It, call me, you know, call me bear, but I think I'm a bull. And maybe you, you can have enough Bitcoin and you can have some gold too, just in case you can have some property, you can buy some guns, you can take your vacation and eat the sandwich that you like and spend a little extra on the nice steak. You could do it all, especially if you have the earning power. I mean, especially if you hit your goals already. Okay. So you're right. Next decade. So. Kind of hope so. Depending on the answer to the next question, but what are the downsides type of Bitcoinization? Uh, this is a trap question. Not really, because I, 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 I've talked about it a lot on the show, and I think there are. I think there are short-term negatives and then long-term positives. You know, a, a great way to think about this transition is this idea of peaks and valleys. So you, like, peaks and valleys are emerged like in biological adoption, or uh, evolution is, you know. You, you get this peak of dinosaurs, you know, this, uh, the lizard uh, species, the peak of them, and, you know, they capture energy from the sun and are cold-blooded. And then, you know, we had a decline. And then now we have the peak of mammals, or, you know, mammals are still ascending, and, you know, we've become sentient and can observe our consciousness and are manipulating our environment and starting to harness energy. So, like, now we're, I think we're, 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 we're climbing way higher than that previous peak. So... I, I see Bitcoin as evolution. So when you're like, what's the downsides of evolution? I'm like, we're getting better. We're evolving. Uh, human beings will be able to allocate capital better. That's going to change our brains. Uh, we'll be able to manage our resources better. That's going to help the environment. Uh, we are going to be able to uh, own our time better. That's going to help our uh, you know, our our happiness and our freedom and you know, maybe we'll have some more time to allocate capital towards causes that have long-term perspectives. Like, so, you know, I think it's going to be a rough ride. I think that there's going to be a valley to get to this next peak, but I think Bitcoin's evolution, you know, like what's the downside to getting better? Well, I guess the bad shit died. So, you know, yeah. I'm going to I'll shed a tear for that. I mean, it wasn't a trap. It, it was more pointing at that. It's going to be a rough ride. Yeah, 100%. So if we didn't have, say we didn't have Bitcoin, this fiat crash, this unwinding of the massive amounts of debt in the system is going to happen. This end of the cycle would happen. I'm not smart enough to say what the transition would be without Bitcoin, but my assumption would be a, you know, a great reset of sorts, uh, a new bread and words, a, a re-monetizing of the world on a new another fiat standard. Perhaps we would flip to a gold standard again temporarily and then come off it again. Who the fuck knows? Maybe China. Maybe China. That's what Dalio thinks. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, maybe China. Who knows? Um, but with Bitcoin, we have uh, moved to a Bitcoin standard. I can't say in the short term, if we didn't have Bitcoin, we went to a new fiat standard, or we have Bitcoin moved to a Bitcoin standard. Once those standards have happened, which would have a net m more rough, which would be a net rougher ride, like a managed global elite 
re remonetizing our new fiat standard might be a bit more stable because there's some control they can put in place. They control armies, they control the banks, yada yada, they control the capital. On a Bitcoin standard, it's more decentralized. It could be more rocky. It could it could lead to different types of poverty, famine, and war that we we aren't prepared for. Um, and I don't know. I think there's no way of knowing. But but I can't talk about when I make the show. I can't talk about the migration to a Bitcoin standard and not talk about how rough the ride will be. What are the potential risks? How people should think about preparing because this is real life. Yeah, you no. understand where I'm going with this. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I can only promise that it's going to be clowny. So I, I, in clowny, in clown world is dangerous. <laughs> it's really dangerous. The clown world kills. So I don't know. Like I think people need to have their. You know, if if we are truly in a transition, uh, I, I I think we are evolving to a, a higher standard, to a higher way of doing things that are going to make us better as a human species. It's going to help us, you know, manage all of our resources better, but it's going to be pain. Like it's going to be painful. Like there's no way to convert that much value into Bitcoin without volatility, pain and fighting, but it's coming. So prepare for it. Like I'm just, I'm trying to tell, try to give Bitcoin as a pep talk. Like, Prepare for hyper Bitcoinization. Like it's coming, and it's going to be messy. And again, you th- you think a decade? Uh, are, are you running the thesis by other people? Do people agree with you? Disagree? You know, there's the people who think it's going to take you know not in my lifetime, and then there's people who get, think it's going to happen really fast. I think it's going to happen really fast because technology built on top, you know, exponential technology built on top of exponential technology. You know, iPhone came out in 2008. We're in 2022. Everyone has an iPhone or a smartphone. Uh, it didn't take that long. And Bitcoin's built on top of that. And then on top, and then on even more the so, even more so, cell phones blew up. And that wasn't with desktops shooting themselves in the foot. That wasn't with um, telephone communication, you know, systematically dismantling itself. So, yeah, I, I'm just looking at the signs and I'm making what it seems to be a pretty logical conclusion that this is going to happen pretty quickly. You know, how long did it take for Uber to dismantle the taxi industry? Well, it's not completely dismantled it, like you said. No, they took the knee, they made their own apps, no one uses them anymore. Sounds like CBDCs. What do you think happens with CBDCs during this? That There will obviously be attempts. I don't think they're ever going to ship. Oh, you don't think they ship? Yeah, just tether stable coins lead the dollar evolution, hyper dollarization. You know, when the next five years followed by hyper bitcoinization. I mean, China has shipped to CBDC. Does anyone care about that unit? I'm, I'm just saying. So, so they have. Other people will. You mean that more in like Western liberal democracies they don't ship? Okay, like you know, maybe that's a hyperbolic statement. To say like no CBDCs will ship, but ultimately this like meme of CBDCs will never actually like happen like they're they'll do airdrops they'll do all this stupid you know maybe they'll ship maybe they won't ship the ones that ship they'll do all this like frivolous stuff to try to like get it to catch on but it's unless like you know my point on why i don't think cbdc's are going to ship is because it's really really hard to bootstrap a new monetary unit it's really hard even the dollar didn't bootstrap itself it it was built off of gold's monetary in pre-existing monetary unit which took Thousands and thousands of years, you know, millions of years, right? Uh, 
you know, all previous fiat currencies had bootstrapped off of some sort of precious metal standard, right? Bitcoin is already bootstrapping. It's using some some alchemy of like proof of work, energy, market to come up with its price, but it has bootstrapped a monetary unit. I don't think that it's going to be that easy for central banks to bootstrap new monetary units just like that in a world where Bitcoin exists and, you know, stable coins exist, the dollar standard, like the dollar standard, Bitcoin is not what's going to murder the dollar, the fiat standards across the globe. It's the dollar. The dollar is coming through. Its liquidity is just destroying everything. If you're in Lebanon, you're, you're begging for tethers and USDCs. That's going to continue. I don't know if the U.S. is going to nationalize all these stable coins, but these stable coins are demand for treasury. Uh, they, they provide treasury demand, so they're part of the dollar system. I don't think other central banks are going to beat the dollar. I think the only thing that's going to beat the dollar is Bitcoin. So you think it's going to be more like the free banking era that Nick Carter wrote about, whereby... There will be stable coins. There Nick will be Bartier, issues. No, no. Nick, Nick Carter oh, okay. wrote about the free banking era. Nick Bartia on our show talked to us about uh, a more kind of like uh, bank issue. So you'd have your Wells Fargo dollar and you would have your Chase dollar. And it's easy again the dollar extension game. But but there's there's a, a lot of logic to having a, uh, a blockchain based digital dollar. Right well, that's now. the dollar. Right now, yeah. if you're in Lebanon, if you're in Turkey, if you're mm. in Argentina, yeah, you might want some Bitcoin. But really, day to day, you need dollar. You need the dollar to be able to price goods, to be able to trade, to be able to protect your wealth. That's why liquidity is so important. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. Like we we hit the s the vertical part of the s curve when Bitcoin's economy is you know is comparable, and not not before. Until then, you'll always need liquidity in the opposing system unless you make some sort of sacrifice to stay within the Bitcoin economy. In some ways, uh, as a rallying call to Bitcoiners, should we uh, also give a little bit of, uh, like extend the rope a little bit to Tron and Ethereum because they are providing the platforms for digital dollars which are useful for people? Like, should we stop that fight? Yeah, I, I, I don't think Bitcoiners should waste their time with shitcoiners at all. <laughs> like, those are just people that are marginally closer to becoming Bitcoiners. But are, but are they also providing value by allowing the movement of these dollars around the world, which supports Bitcoin? Yeah, I mean, uh, again, like, I think that stable coins are useful. I think that you need liquidity to have an effective economy. The traditional system is obviously way more liquid, even though it has its flaws. That's a dollar-based system. I think stable coins are an extension of that existing system, uh-huh. which makes them, you know, they're skeuomorphic, they're whatever. They don't have a lot of the benefits of Bitcoin, but they do have the benefits of dollars, which is that they're more liquid and everyone already operates on them. Uh, so yeah, they're they're part of the transition. Like I do think, like I think that stable coins are part of this transition. I have no animosity towards Ethereum or Tron or anything else. Like I'm glad those things exist and those things are of Bitcoin. And they're part of this transition to hyper-Bitcoinization. Like, we need bridges. We need uh-huh. intermediate steps towards 21 million. Like, it's going to be messy. People have to literally change their entire worldview in mass, right? And, like, people say, like, oh, we're at 1% adoption, 5% adoption. No, we're not. We're at 0.01% global adoption, okay? Like, the best estimates is that there's, you know, hundreds of millions of Bitcoin users, 
And there's 7 billion people going on 8 billion people. Like do the math. That's a pretty small percentage of, of people that like literally need to change how they see the world to get onto this economy. And that gets easier over time and there's less gains over time. But, uh, you know, we like, we need things to transition them. Like tethers are transitionary tools. Have you thought about like logistically how you can move to like a hyper Bitcoinized world? Because there's supply on exchanges is super low. If demand increases, it'll be great for price. But we know that like my, a lot of miners are keeping their Bitcoin. People like Sailor aren't planning on selling. Like is, how do people, how is there enough Bitcoin to go around? I mean, we can keep dividing it down. So millisatoshis and beyond. And we, I guarantee we'll have to because I think one sat will actually be something that we want to divide into smaller units of value in the future. But as more like Michael Saylor's come in, more companies hold Bitcoin they don't plan on selling, like obviously that's great for the price of Bitcoin, but does it actually slow the transition type of Bitcoinization? Are you asking whether there's just, you can have a supply? It's not about there's like- no whether, supply. Yeah, basically. And, and I get that you can keep dividing it down, but like when does it get to the point where people are holding Bitcoin for so long that there's not enough to distribute to other people? I think there will always be but sellers. If there was a sudden but massive but increase, what are you in selling to in this world? Like you're selling to go to for goods and services. It. Well, just just say next year Bitcoin suddenly went to as part of this went up to a million dollars, and other people want to come in. There are people who are going to go, holy shit! I've got like a hundred of these. I'm going to sell like five hmm. and buy myself a fucking mansion. For sure. So I think there that there is people. Tell me if you disagree, but I think there are people who go, I can upgrade my life here. I'm already worth 100 million or 50 million. I can suddenly get that dream house because that's one of the things. It's like I always say that the the two scarce assets I care about are Bitcoin and time. I'm 43. People have heart attacks at 45 all the time or 50 or 55, 60, right? I don't want to wait a decade on my Bitcoin and not live life. I yep. want to yeah. go on a holiday. I, I could never go on or buy a house I couldn't have or have a car I couldn't have. You know, Bitcoin has enabled some of that. If Bitcoin keeps going up, it enables new things, which enables me to redistribute that Bitcoin to other people. That's my thesis. Everyone has a price. And, you know, ultimately, we are forced to have some high time preference because we have to live and we have to consume energy right now. And, you know, I would encourage Bitcoiners to properly evaluate their Bitcoin holdings, properly evaluate how much time they have left on Earth, properly evaluate their family situation and try to make a, a valid economic calculation onto how much Bitcoin should you be satisfied with? How much time should you focus on passing that Bitcoin down and protecting that Bitcoin? What, how much money should you, you know, use in a high time preference way to, you know, increase your quality of life? Like zoom out a little bit because I, I just think that the, the barometer is out of whack right now. Like you see how Bitcoiners act. Like, am I wrong? If, am I right? If I'm right about Bitcoin, am I, am I wrong to say that Bitcoiners are, they're not taking the, the, the gravity of this thing into account? No, I think, I think you're right. Just a quick question for Danny. Two questions. Do you think you have enough Bitcoin? No. If Bitcoin goes to a million dollars in the next six months, do you sell any? Well, I, I think if Bitcoin went to a million dollars in the next six months, then something has broken down in the world. And then it depends what you're selling it for. S say the equivalent value is like, it's not that... Maybe buy a house. There you go. So you don't think... Sell it to change your life. Yeah. So the, the truth is, is, it's not... The question is, do you have enough Bitcoin? It's do you have enough buying power? I mean, that's, ult that's ultimately what that's what you want to get. Yeah. Which is like how much Bitcoin is going to get you that buying power. Yeah. yeah. 
or how much buying power do you have now and what changes if you're buying power 10x's if you're buying power 10x's you might buy a house someone might buy a lambo someone might buy a helicopter by someone you mean you'd buy a lambo (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) of course uh you spent some money on some nice cars recently i have so i mean in if I can remember correctly, uh, you sold at some opportune times this fall in order to make that happen. I don't think I sold Bitcoin for that car. Okay, well, cheers then. But I did for my son. Okay, nice. I sold half a Bitcoin to buy my son a car because, you know, he's literally, that's, that's actually funny to say that, he's in his driving test right now. That's awesome. This very moment. In fact, we might have been done. Let's have a look. You're just thinking of him. He's, uh, shit, what's this? If he failed, we'll have to cut this out. <laughs> it's just uh, his mum's just sent me a picture of Kermit the Flog right in his nails. Um, <laughs> nervous. It's hilarious. Yeah, so he, uh, during the time of making the podcast, during COVID, and then there's all the times when I was away with work, and it's like he doesn't see his dad for two weeks, three weeks. Never once complained, never once moaned. He was brilliant. And so I attribute part of the success of this to him. So I was like... I sold half a Bitcoin when it was at forty thousand pounds. So I don't know what that is. Yep. I didn't, and I it, like the thing is, I didn't actually have to sell the Bitcoin at that time. I could have gone into different capital pools, but I kind of sometimes I want to spend Bitcoin because I want to appreciate where that's come from when it's done. And I bought him a card, say thank you. So I, that that one, the other car cards, I I didn't sell any. I don't think I did. I can't try to. Remember. I don't think I did. Well, I mean, regardless, I think that that sen- your sentiment scales. Like, yeah. I think humans are humans. And like when humans interact with Bitcoin, like it's not always like 100% rational or logical. And that's actually rational and logical because that's how humans operate. I actually give away more Bitcoin than I, I sold. I think I gave away two or three last year, like to different, pro- different yeah, no, projects. And, and, and I know you support a lot of projects. Yeah. And I think that there's something about good money that you earn the hard way hard right way that get like also wants to encourage you to give back like and that's you know Rizzo would make fun of me for saying that Bitcoin instills like these additional kind of like values but I just don't see how like I see Bitcoin as like this operating system and like the fiat is a really really bad operating system where it's really hard to like work on it but you know people are forced to and Bitcoin is just this new operating system and when you switch operating systems you behave in just different ways, and that's logical. Well, but you want you want to also you you want to support the system, help the people within it. That's why when the Ukrainian army wants to raise money in Bitcoin, they get whatever it was. What was it like a hundred million or something? Or when the Canadian Canadian truckers are, rem, are removed from being able to raise money on GoFundMe, everyone starts sending them Bitcoin. Like every Bitcoin fundraiser gets Bitcoin. People are constantly giving Bitcoin away. We all do it. We all contribute. And I, I I, give way more Bitcoin away than I do fiat because I want to support those projects and people. And I know it's probably the same for you, probably the same for Danny, probably the same for most Bitcoiners. And that's, going, that's a really interesting area of uh, capital allocation where if another 10x happens, 20x happens, we're all going to go, oh shit, I can help that person. There's that person who wants to quit their fiat job and they want to launch a podcast or start coding Bitcoin. Yeah, I'll give them some money. I'll support them. I mean, that's a, a positive externality of hyper Bitcoinization. Is you one. know a specific group of people that thought a specific way are enabled to allocate that capital how they see fit. So, what else is in the rallying cry for Bitcoin? Is are we missing? 
do you think as a collective, and I know people say there's no community, there's like sub-communities, but as a collective, do you think we're missing anything? Do we think we're focused on the wrong, are we thinking too small? Are we having stupid fights over irrelevant things? Yeah, definitely both. Okay. Thinking way too small. I would say the English-speaking Western Bitcoin community in general thinks way too small. Or when they think big, it's so abstract that they they can't like internalize it. Um, you know, like a lot of Bitcoiners say one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin, infinity divided by 21 million. But then they don't behave that way. Like <laughs> they don't behave like, okay, Bitcoin's going to hypernize, you know, one Bitcoin is going to be this, probably this percentage of global wealth. You know, I have this much already. Like, how should I behave to manage that? Like, I, like otherwise, they wouldn't be quibbling with Tron. Like, they would see that, okay, like, Tron's like this just marginal thing that's on the way to hyper-Bitcoinization. Like, I think we need some more confidence as Bitcoiners. I really do. Because, like, one, the hyper-Bitcoinized future is, is beautiful. Like, it's a system that has a, a pure substrate for economic communication. Um, and that is going to fix the world in a lot of different ways. That's what the whole meme, fix the money, fix the world is. Do you really think that you're fixing the money with a fixed supply currency? Okay, well, what's how does that scale to fixing the world? Like, what does that look like? And I just think that, you know, if Bitcoiners truly believed in hyper-Bitcoinization, like, they would have a lot more empathy. And maybe that would help with adoption because they wouldn't be so, like, freaking, you know, upset or nervous or, you know, subconscious or self-conscious or whatever. Like, you know, chill. Hmm. Okay, final area, because you mentioned it earlier. You said, don't worry about the block reward. It's not going to be an issue if everyone's selling on Bitcoin. But there are two schools of thought, and I'm just interested in where yours are. There's yeah. a school of thought that uh, if everyone's selling or major institutions are selling on the blockchain, block space will be valuable, and therefore there'll be enough in fees to pay for the miners. There's an alternative viewpoint that if there isn't enough from fees, there will be people like Michael Saylor who might be set on, fuck knows, like billions and trillions of Bitcoin. He is incentivized to protect that Bitcoin by essentially paying miners to do that. But as a, yeah, not as a mine, as a fee, just as some, I don't know, some kind of structure to pay the miners to secure it. What do you think happens there? I find both of those scenarios to be really weird. Okay. Yeah. I, I I think Bitcoin's binary. So like, I don't think there's this medium success scenario where Bitcoin's like somewhat, like somewhat valuable, but then no one is using the system. Like that just does not make any sense to me. So it's either the world is on the system and that system scaled. So like you don't, you won't need to have final settlement on Bitcoin for every single transaction. Like it doesn't need to scale that way, but like it will have scale technologically to a way where people can continue to maintain its features while, you know, ultimately settling onto the blockchain. And that's like this like layered approach on the flip side, like there, there's nowhere where Bitcoin's incentive structure relies on like humans being, you know, good or humans wanting to, uh, be ambivalent or whatever. Like, it's either the world settles on this settlement network that has finite supply and finite block space, and we find a way to scale that through human ingenuity, or it completely falls apart. I just like there is no this middle ground. And guess what? If we're at point zero zero one percent of Bitcoin users, 
and we're looking at block space usage and we're like, oh, wow, man, block space usage is making me kind of nervous because, you know, there was like, you know, two sats per byte to get into the, the next block. Okay, we'll multiply <coughs> that finite block space by, you know, two orders of magnitude people entering the system. Like, it's, it's going to change. Like, things will settle out. Because we're still kind of bootstrapping, right? We're so early. And I mean, like, ultimately, if we need to get 99.99% more people onto the blockchain, our shit better be empty right now. Otherwise, there's no hope of scaling. Like, there's no hope of scaling. That's like, look at Ethereum. Ethereum has no hope of scaling. There's 0. 0.000 whatever percent of the planet is on Ethereum right now, and they can't, they can't do anything. Like, that thing can't, there's no runway for scaling. At least there's runway for scaling on Bitcoin. Like, think exponentially, guys. It's either zero or hyper-Bitcoinization. Again, that's my opinion. Maybe there'll be a lot of people who listen to this who argue against that. And if we go to hyper-Bitcoinization, like, we got 99.99% more people getting on this thing. Like, what are we, what are we even talking about? We're going to need more Bitcoin, Danny. Everyone needs more Bitcoin. Okay. Or maybe uh, they don't. <laughs> that's the yeah, point. Maybe or maybe you have enough. <laughs> Don't know, man. Just don't fuck it up, Peter. I got big. I got big plans for Bedford. <laughs> uh, okay, I do have a final question. Uh, what do you say to the people who? Because I know what happens in the YouTube comments. They uh, they use the term Bitcoin maximalist pejoratively. What do you say to those people? Uh, I hope you have some Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're valuing Bitcoin appropriately. <laughs> that was easy. All right, cool. Listen. CK, awesome. Uh, anything I've not asked you that you wish I'd asked you? You know, if you want to experience what hyper-Bitcoinization looks like today, go to the Bitcoin conference. Hell yeah. May 6th through the 9th. Uh, I mean, you've been there since we've been doing the Bitcoin conference since 2019, and every year just getting better and better. So I think that trend continues as well. It's an unbelievable event. The first one I went to in San Francisco blew my mind. I was like, fucking hell, this is incredible. Uh, that one was really special. It's really special, and it... It felt it was a Bitcoin conference, but it didn't feel like a like a nerd fest. It was, it was just it, it just had everything right, okay. And it was really cool to go up at that rooftop and see a bunch of friends and hang out. That was amazing. And then roll on to Miami, and it was like exponentially better. It was just bigger. Just everything about it, like the people, even the shit things that like, you look back and go, Ugh, like... <laughs> there were like, some shit things. Yeah, but like even like Floyd Mayweather coming on or <laughs> rolling in with his buddies with their ETH top on and like him talking shit on stage. I still think that's brilliant. I still think that's an, like a classic moment and I loved it as well as Michael Saylor coming out with uh, with Max Kaiser going like... Um, what was it Max was screaming? Fuck Elon, was it? No, it wasn't fucking at all. He did definitely scream fucking. <laughs> he did, but it was something else. Um, I can't remember what he was screaming. And like the whole, cr- that, it was such a shame that there wasn't a mic on the crowd because it was loud. Yeah. And what was that, 4,000 people? So yeah, we had 4,000 people on the GA stage or on the main stage. Uh, and now this year, on. it's going to be? 15,000 15,000. 15, 15 so 1.5. So that's a 4X on that in, yeah. that in that auditorium ready. Well, we needed more room in the auditorium at 21. So yeah, yeah like we we want to make sure that everyone can at least be there for those big moments. And, you know, we have to we have to try to think for the scale. But yeah, 15,000 seats in the main stage. All the other stages are uh, are 1,000 seats plus. So, you know, the open source stage, the mining stage, like 
these are substantial stages with you know uh, incredible content, even though there may not be the main stage. I am massively pumped for it this year. I honestly, I'm I'm so excited just to see all your friends, to hang out, to see what you guys have done. I mean, like big up to you, David Bailey, Brandon for like thinking super big. Like that's you know I have to give David Bailey credit because he he is one of those people that like was like Bitcoin is going mainstream. How do we how do we do that in an event when like you said up until that point, like Bitcoin events were pretty much like very nerdy, you know so. Uh, I think that that scaled a lot and it's really a testament to Bitcoin because like Bitcoin is like the Bitcoin economy is growing. That's how I like to talk about it. Like it is growing. It's getting more substantial, more, you know, just people in culture are starting to pay attention. Well, big up to David, to you, to Brandon, to everyone else I've dealt with there. P, everyone, congratulations. I'm so pumped. The whole, t- the whole team's coming. Let's go. We're all going in. Um, we're really excited about it. So congratulations on that. Uh, CK, where do you want to send anyone? Where do you want people to follow you, follow Bitcoin Magazine, follow the event, whatever? Yeah, all the above. Follow me at CK underscore Uh I'm the managing director of Bitcoin Magazine. So uh, everything that happens at Bitcoin Magazine, uh, you know, you can blame me or thank me, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's a fun time doing that. So that's at Bitcoin Magazine. And then uh, the Bitcoin Conference at the Bitcoin Conference and b.tc forward slash conference. Get your ticket, use a, use a promo code, pay in Bitcoin. We're discounting for Bitcoin tickets and just be there. It's an investment in yourself, it really is. All right, man. Well, listen, thanks for coming on. Uh, it's been great to get to know you over these last few years. Uh, you're not just uh, a fellow Bitcoiner, but you're a friend and we hang out a bunch of times. And I know if I ever need anything from you and I reach out to you, you get back to me. So thank you and congratulations in the growth of your career. It's, it's amazing to see. And yeah, let's uh, roll on Miami, brother. Cheers. Yeah. And uh, same to you. All right, thanks for listening to What Bitcoin Did. If you want to get in touch, the best thing you can do is head over to my Telegram channel or you can hit me up on my email, which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. 